What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Two Pigeons in a Pod. I'm your host, Alex. Corrado can't join us today, but that's okay. We got two special guests, both right for the intermission, and they're both going into their first year at Ryerson University. Uh, my name is Sam Donzig, and like Alex said as well, I'm going to first year journalism. Uh, big basketball fan, specifically Raptors, and yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Krina Mustafa. Um, I'm going into my first year at Ryerson for sport media. I love basketball, tennis, and my team is definitely the Toronto Raptors. So we got a couple of Raptors fans here. It's a given considering it's the only Canadian basketball team. For our viewers that aren't in Canada, most of you guys are Miami Heat fans and you guys are up 3-1 right now. So I do want to talk a little bit about that, but first... How about that OG shot? What was your reactions when you were seeing it live? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. Honestly, I couldn't believe it because I was like, I was watching that play, and then I was like, oh, Taco's coming in. Like, you know, he's he's a like he's seven foot five. How is Kyle like? And I was so confused because like, why is Kyle inbounding the ball? Like, I want him. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted him on the ball to like take the shot. But then when it happened, I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it went in. It was a great shot. I was super excited. You know, we had some momentum back in the series you know that's that's all we needed you know like just get one game on them and uh, get some momentum back for us yeah for sure I'm not gonna lie I totally thought our season was over when Tice hit that had that dunk with the pass from Kemba I was like laying face down on my couch (laughs) I was in pure misery and then Kyle made that unbelievable pass which OG would never have gotten that shot if Kyle doesn't make that pass and I think we just I just screamed like I just jumped up and I screamed it was it was an amazing shot and it definitely boosted our morale um I think Bringing up the point where why was Kyle inbounding the ball? Well, first of all, obviously the shot wouldn't have happened without that great pass. Yeah. But go back to game two. Kyle was inbounding the ball, and a lot of Raptors fans were really confused because obviously Siakam stepped on the line, and that was the shot to tie the, the opportunity to tie up the game. Nick Nurse went back to Lauer inbounding the ball, and I guess we can see why. No one else on the court, both teams would have that vision. Maybe Kemba on the Celtics. But I don't think anyone else would have had that vision to throw the ball over to seven foot five taco fall perfectly to OG. And OG wasn't even supposed to run there. The the pass, the the play that they were talking about wasn't drawn up for OG, but OG had the awareness to obviously go to the corner and well, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah I think they said they had originally drawn it up for Siakam to take the shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously both of you saw the finals run last year. Which shot do you think was more impressive the Kawhi shot or the OG shot well I think that if we do go on to win this series I think they will be equally important because both of them were kind of do or or die even though like Kawhi's shot we would have just gone to overtime but either way it's still saving our series if we lose this series against the Celtics I would say Kawhi's shot is more important yeah I think I would agree I think if we because when you look at the shot, like between Kawhi's shot, obviously that was a huge shot to win the Eastern Conference Finals or the second round of play to go into the Eastern Conference Finals in game seven. And then you look at this series as well. Yeah, if, if we win this series, that shot is not only – obviously it's a huge – it's a bigger it's a bigger shot than Kawhi's shot because it's the momentum shift that we needed. And that was the uh, big shift that the Raptors needed to get back into the series. I think that would be – Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think being down 0-3 would have been – pretty much it because I don't know how many teams if any I don't think any team has come back down from three games no, it's in like NBA. 0, 0 and 139 is the is the yeah. uh, record right, for teams so, down 0-3 so it was 
most likely not going to happen. Um, now it's two to two. Game game five's tonight. So I think that if not only the Raptors win this game, but then go on to make another run, people are going to look back on that OG shot and think, if that shot didn't happen, we'd be packing home. For sure. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. It's definitely important. And I think I saw a stat somewhere that said that Raptors are 5-0 and in game fives where it's tied 2-2 in the series. So that's something to look forward to. The series has been pretty close besides that first game. The second game could have went to either team. Obviously, the third game with 0.5. I think the last game was probably the most open game since game one. Yeah, like that second game, the one where we lost by three points, I believe. Yeah, I think I think any of us could have taken that. I think a big issue in that game was definitely the fouls, because I think in that thing, that game, Tatum had Tatum had fourteen free throws yeah, that he got in all of them, and in the first half, the Raptors had zero, yeah, which was astonishing. And Nick Nurse came out after the game to to mention that as well. Yeah, he, he did, yeah, in game two, or no, after game two, he said, yeah, he didn't like the officiating as well. But I think one of the biggest problems in game two was the Raptors, the first two games at least, the Raptors' aggressiveness to drive to the paint and stuff and to be more aggressive to the draw the fouls. Like, that's what I was, I've been saying for a little while. Like, it's like now, obviously, in game three, Kyle Lowry had like 20 points in the paint, which was really good and was really impressive for a point guard his size to have 20 points in the paint. And he had like a number of free throws as well. So I think in game three and four, the Raptors were much more aggressive driving to the hoop and drawing the contact, you know, because that's way that's why you get the calls. And then you can, once you get one call, then you can kind of get a couple more calls going your way and stuff. And then that kind of accumulates the free throws for you, which is easy, like three points basically. Because it you stops know, and everything. So Boston coming to the series, Boston's a pretty small team can like in terms of, they don't have that big dominance, like all respect to thighs, but they don't have that big dominant center. Like some of the other teams in the NBA have, whether that's a big dominant force like Anthony Davis or Nikolai Jokic or, say, Bam Adebayo, like power forward centers. Mm -hmm. Um, So Toronto had to expose that, and they didn't do a great job of that in, like, the first game, as you said. But Karina made an article, and I think it's an article that everyone should check out. It's talking about Pascal Siakam. And obviously last game he put the most points up, I think, on the Raptors, but he was still 2 of 13, I believe, from 3. Yeah, he was. Why is he popping threes like that when, when he's such a dominant force inside against a smaller opposition in the Celtics? Yeah, exactly. I've been saying this over and over. The Raptors have to get into the paint more. They can't just resort to throw to shooting threes because they're not really that kind of team, to be honest. Um, Pascal needs to be more assertive. He needs to be more sure of what he's doing. And yeah, we saw a little bit of that come back in the in this most recent game. But I, I feel like I still want to see him get forward, like drive more. And like he can be one of the biggest leaders on our team next to Kyle Lowry. And I think it's a role that he should step into. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Pascal needs to be more aggressive in driving the hoop. But not only Pascal, but also players like OG and Nobi, uh, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, like those guys, those like, th- like, so like, like Daniel Tice compared to Serge Ibaka is, or, or like Serge Ibaka or even Marcus Gasol, like there's a big size difference. So Mark, Mark needs to be aggressive to drive the hoop and go in there. And obviously he's had some struggles as well. The whole series, he hasn't played that well. Like I think the one game he fouled out, he had four points. So not really like he had, he had one big basket, but that's good. But I think I'd like to see some other players, not only Pascal, but 
like OG and Obi be more aggressive in the hoop and stuff. Obviously, he's been shooting lights out from the three. Like, he's shooting, like, over 50%, I think it is, from the corner three. So, he should keep using that because he's hot. He's He's got the hot hand there, but also still be aggressive and drive the hoop. See, the thing with the Raptors right now is I think Siakam needs to specifically look at Ibaka because the thing with Ibaka is he's not actively looking for threes, but when he's open, you'll hit them. The thing with Ibaka is he's hitting all these mid-range shots, and I think – as you said, Gasol fouled out. That game, I was happy he fouled out because Ibaka got more minutes. And yeah. I love Mark, but there's a lot of the time where he's just not on his game. And he looks a little bit shaky and kind of unconfident when he's shooting his threes or long-range jumpers. Whereas Ibaka's, I've never seen Ibaka this good. Maybe when he was on the Thunder, when they went to the finals last year, that's the last year I've seen Ibaka this dominant. Yeah, I would say this is Ibaka's best year since the Thunder, for sure. He's been definitely an important part of us winning games. Who's been your most clutch performer so far besides Kyle Lowry? Because everyone's going to say Kyle Lowry. You know what? I think Van Fleet has been le- is leading in this series with the amount of points per game. And I feel like he's he's even – I think he struggled a bit before like in the Brooklyn series but I feel like now he's starting to to get more shots for us and I think he's also one of the more more clutch I would say I would say OG Anobi like obviously he had the big shot in game three but also even I think in game two and game three as well I think he had like one game he had 20 points or something like that he led the Raptors and I think he's actually stepped up a lot this series and I think I've like kind of like watching the Raptors season I've always wanted him to be more aggressive and to him to get more points and stuff because he's a starting he is a starter so he should be averaging at least like 15 points a night and I think that he's stopped up really good really well in this series to uh, score some big buckets and I think he's he's destined to score like at least 15 or 20 points maybe tonight possibly we'll see I'm gonna have to agree with both but I think specifically OG because Fred obviously had a really good season I think he was one of the most improved players in the NBA OG only 23 years old he has a very similar game style, kind of to like, I'm not trying to compare him to Kawhi, but the similarities are just there. The defensive efforts, like when he starts to get going and when he's driving the paint, you can see the dominance he has inside. And in a couple of years, he's going to be really scary. He's going to be a really scary player to guard. Yeah, I agree. I think you can see how much OG actually absorbed from his year with Kawhi. And I, I, I agree that they're very, like, they're very similar in their stature and how they play. How about that press conference after he hit that shot? He's like, it was going to go in. <laughs> yeah, that was that, – that actually, that reminded me most of where it's like, you know, like how Kawhi's a very quiet guy and he doesn't talk a lot. He does – like, when he said that and stuff, like, like after hitting a big shot like that, I was like, that's, that's very similar to how Kawhi would react. Like, Kawhi wouldn't be like, like, that was a really good shot, man. Like, it was – like not like how Kyle would react. Like, Kyle, like, was like – like showed him with euphoria with there like after that winning that or after OG had that game and shot and stuff and he was kind of like very chill and stuff similar to Kawhi so I think that's kind of where they're very similar in their emotions yeah it was a very amusing press conference for sure (laughs) it's probably the best scrum I've ever seen to be honest just like his just his response is even better than that Kawhi press conference when he first joined the Raptors in my opinion yeah, I loved it. I was like, um, how did how did it feel? And he's like, oh, you know, I hit some in high school before. It's yeah. fine. Like, I was expecting it to go in. <laughs> NBA champion just hit the biggest shot of his life. He's like, yeah, I hit some shots in high school. <laughs> um, 
Kyle has been absolutely outstanding this playoffs, and I really think he's the energizer behind this team. Do you think he's the not most talented Raptor of all time, but the greatest Raptor of all time when you're looking at all the Raptors? Oh, yeah, for sure. This is Kyle Lowry's team. This is no one else's team. It is Kalo over everything. <laughs> I am still, we're still waiting for his statue and for his jersey to be retired one day in the Raptors. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree. Kyle Lowry, like the Raptors is Kyle Lowry's team. He is the mo- he is the greatest Raptor of all time, I think. Uh, he he just elevates his team to another level when he's on the floor. He runs the offense so smoothly. And then even sometimes when I see it, when he's not on the floor, the, the offense, it's it's gotten better. But I think in past seasons where Kyle Lowry's not on the floor, the offense struggles and it doesn't really flow really well without Kyle Lowry on there. So he's a real field general, I think, for the Raptors. And I think he's really elevated the team. Like, obviously, he's been with the team for so long, obviously, since, like, when Masai joined the team and stuff. And, like, when DeMar DeRozan was still on the team, you know, like, the good old days and stuff. Like, he's been there for a while. So, I think that he definitely uh, deserves the title for greatest Raptor of all time. It's funny because before DeRozan left, and even when he left, a lot of people were saying Kyle's just a sidekick. And he's not even close to DeRozan and like as much as I love DeRozan like I've never seen DeRozan do this in the playoffs what Kyle's doing and Kyle's proven he doesn't need to be a sidekick he can take a team as far as he wants it to because quite frankly he's the best player on the team right now he's the most valuable player on the team and without Kyle Lowry they're not in the series to be completely honest yeah I fully agree with that um, I think like he's not only the heart and soul of this team, but he's he's the more he's the most smart guy on the floor. So he knows he knows how to run these plays. He knows how to make sure that we stay in check, and I think that's that's very important. You got a six foot guy driving the lane on seven foot center or six foot ten centers. It's like throwing passes with 0.5 seconds left over the tallest guy in the NBA. Like. Oh, and the charges, you know, most charges drawn in the last, like, two years or something. He does not care. That's a true warrior on the the court. Yeah, and I think it's not even close. Like, I think the amount of charges he has versus whoever is in second place, it's like there's such a big gap between the numbers. Yeah, and I I think Kyle Lowry does many things that, uh, like, I'll go unnoticed and stuff that are off the stat sheet. Like, obviously, there's the charges that are drawn, but he – he just makes smart plays defensively. He makes reads and stuff on the offensive court. And obviously, he's an excellent passer, excellent playmaker, like we saw again in game three. Exactly. Um, obviously, big game tonight. I think the Raptors could pull it out of another big performance by not only Lowry. You always need that second guy to step up. I think Kyle's always going to show it out on the court. I, I'm expecting a bigger game from Siakam. I think he's not going to pull up for 13 threes. And I, I expect not. him to – you should have seen me on Twitter. I wanted him off the court so bad. <laughs> me too. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I think, I think he's a player that's going to bounce back. I think moving into the next series, like, one player that I want to compare him to that I think Siakam – if he played a little bit more like him, like, teams wouldn't stop him. And I think it's Bam Adebayo. The thing with Bam is he can hit threes like Siakam when he wants to. But he's not – he has enough shooters on his team. So, obviously, Miami's one of the better three-pointing um, teams in the league. Toronto's similar. You got guys like Lowry, OG, Van Vliet. All of them can hit threes. Matt Thomas. Miami has Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, and Kendrick Nunn. So, you got guys that can shoot. So, what Bam will do is 
he'll dominate the paint. He'll dominate the post. He'll make his present felt, and then he'll kick it. And I think uh, Siakam is doing a little bit of a better job with driving than kicking. I think he was a little kind of shaky. He looked like when he got the ball, he was kind of looking around everywhere and not knowing what to do. When Siakam doesn't hesitate, then everything opens up. Players are drawn towards him, and then he can kick it out. So um, what do you guys think about that Miami series? Well, um, I prayers up for Giannis. That looked extremely painful. Extremely Multiple painful. times on the same ankle throughout the series. Yeah, I, it was definitely a cringe type of moment. But honestly, the Bucks, like in the Miami, it hasn't been too far apart. Like the series itself, it's been pretty close. But yeah. Milwaukee hasn't really gone over the hump to actually secure a game until yesterday, which is was without Giannis in overtime. So I don't think Milwaukee will come back in the series. Um, but I do think Miami is very, very dominant right now and very consistent. That is like the key word I'd use for Miami. Yeah, no, I, I think that for Milwaukee, really, they've struggled. Like, it's been very close. And I think that even as well, I think it was game two that it was a, like a technicality off a free throw. Like, or it was like, they, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Off a free throw. Game one was a, like a lot less close or a lot less close. It was like, obviously, Miami was really dominant. Miami has been dominant. They've proved to be the better team in the series. And I think that the problem with the Bucks, honestly, is that it's like they're a one superstar team. So if you shut down Giannis, you have to you you let the like you let the Bucks rely on their other supporting cast, the supporting cast to step up. And they really haven't stepped up this series. Chris Middleton had a big game, uh, big game four. Like he, I think he dropped like 34. Yeah. He struggled, he struggled in the fourth quarter, but he stepped up in overtime to secure the win and stuff. And I think that was big for him. He's gonna have to have another big game if they want another chance at uh, keeping the series, extending the series to six games. I don't think that's the case. I think Miami's going to come back, win game five, and kind of just put them away. And I think that, uh, yeah, Miami Miami does look dangerous. Like, if we advance the series, like, obviously, I'm thinking we do, in six games or seven games, they're going to be they're gonna be dangerous to play, and I'm, I'm scared a little bit. <laughs> the, thing with, the thing with Miami is, obviously, I'm from Miami, so I have a little bit of a bias. But coming into the series, I thought they were a better team just because – I did a little bit of a research on they had the number one bench scoring team before the break and one of the best three-point shooting teams. But I think they're just being out-coached, the Bucks. Eric Spolstra is probably one of the most underrated slash best coaches in the NBA. I mean, he took a garbage team in like 2015 or 2016, 30 and 11. Um, he knows how to make his rotation. So the thing with Spolstra is he'll take out his best players if the matchup's not right. So Duncan Robinson's obviously one of the better three-point shooters in the league. If you watch Heat games, he's not playing a lot in the fourth quarter just because he's not good on defense. So they'll put in Iguodala or they'll put in Jay Crowder. So I think that Spolstra's defensive um, schemes is very similar to Nick Nurse where he can make adjustments on the fly. And to be quite frankly, Budenholzer can't do that. He's playing Giannis 35 minutes saying that's pushing the limit. We have Kyle Lowry playing 47 and 41. The thing with the Bucs is they're kind of, like you said, it's all um, centralized through Giannis. And it's the same thing that happened last year with Toronto. Once you find out how to stop Giannis, they don't know what to do. Chris Middleton saved them last game. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, my, Coach Bud, I feel like compared, yeah, compared to 
um, the Miami Heat coach, like he is being out coached for sure. He's not making those adjustments needed. And I, that's where the Bucks get hurt the most. And I feel like Nick Nurse versus the Miami Heat would be a very, very interesting coach series, coached series. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to see uh, what the coach, like obviously between Eric Spolstra and Nick Nurse, how it would work out and stuff. And I think for Mike Budenholzer as well, I think like as well, like playing Giannis only 35 to 36 minutes for being, obviously he, he is battling that ankle injury. So that's a little bit tough for him to play for like 40 plus minutes, but it's the playoffs. Like it's, he's your superstar. He needs to be playing 40 plus minutes. He's your best player. He needs to be playing more than 35 to 36 minutes. If you want a chance of winning. If you had uh, like if you had more superstars on your team, I guess if you had like a second or third superstar, like like I feel like Miami could probably like obviously Jimmy buckets like Jimmy Butler playing a lot of time, but he might be able to like okay he can only play 35, 36 minutes and then he can have some rest because they have other players that can kind of just step in and step up. With the Bucks, they don't have that right. Like they they do have supporting cast, but they're just not stepping up right now and they haven't really done a good job this series. Uh, like Eric Bledsoe, George Hill have really been quiet all series, and I think that's really hurt them, and that's why they're down 3-1. You know, the thing with the Miami Heat is they run a 10-man rotation every single game, and if one guy in that 10-man rotation is out, they'll put in a guy that they haven't played and keep it at a 10-man rotation. They're always cycling players, and that creates a lot of mismatches for um, the opposition. You know, Kendrick Nunn was second in Rookie of the Year voting. He's barely played in the playoffs. Um, out of that series, who's the most impressive player? Like, I don't know how closely you've watched the series, but for me, it's been Tyler Hero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, yes, yesterday he hit some some clutch buckets. Two threes I, at the end of the game, yeah. Yeah, before before overtime. And I, I feel like he's been very impressive. He said he's only 20 years old. 20 years old, yeah. Yeah, he's only going to continue to grow and get much better and going to be a very scary player to play against. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably close between either – like Tyler Hill has been really impressive being a young player as well for obviously hitting those clutch shots and being in the moment of the playoffs to be able to heat, uh, hit those big shots. Like I think the two or three clutch threes like Karina said. But I also another player that's really not surprising is Jimmy Butler has stepped up big. He stepped up big in game three. I think he had like 17 of Miami's 40 points or something like that in the fourth quarter in that routing – in that big game three, which uh, put them up 3-0. And I think that he kind of like – looking back at last year when he was on Philadelphia – the reason why that series was so close between Toronto and them is because obviously G- Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick. Now both of those players are off Philly and Philly's yeah. out. But regardless, when he joined Miami, it was a huge signing for Miami because they're getting an excellent player who can perform in the playoffs and also during the regular season, but mostly obviously can be clutch in the playoffs for them. Yeah, and one thing that I actually I really admire about Jimmy Butler is his worth at work ethic and his like conditioning. He's always in the gym. He's always the first one there. He's always working hard. Like you can see during games, the the players on the on the on Milwaukee Bucks are like huffing and puffing, and he's just like laughing with his teammates on the side, like in the second quarter of a game or something, which I think is super impressive. Which I think is another like key point is like that conditioning. You have to make sure your guys can last that long and still play efficiently on the court. I think that adds to, like, obviously Jimmy Butler's been on a couple teams, and a lot of the fans on those fan bases think that he's not a team player and he's, like, driving himself out of town. But I want to look back when he was on Minnesota. He was kind of beefing with his team, and 
he took the second string practice unit and absolutely demolished the starters. The thing with Miami is they're known to be one of the hardest working teams in the NBA. And a lot of players don't like going there just because the way that Pat Riley and Eric Sprocher run that team is if you come into camp out of shape, you're not playing. As I saw with Dion Waiters and many other players in that Heat team, this is the perfect team for a player with a, such a high intensity and such a craving for the game of basketball like Jimmy Butler. He's going to push his team as hard as he can. And from the first practice, he wanted Tyler Hero to be on him. And he put that rookie to school. So I think this is a match made in heaven for not only Jimmy Butler, but the Miami Heat. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Definitely. Okay, moving on to um, the Denver Denver Nuggets. So we have Jamal Murray, a fellow Canadian. Isn't he from Kitchener? Yep, from Kitchener, yep. And that's where you're from, right? Yeah, Kitchener, yeah, Kitchener, Waterloo, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously we knew Jamal Murray was good, but did we know he was this good? He has been one of the most impressive players on this team. I mean, even before, right, like with the Clippers before, when he, they were playing against the Jazz, like it was really just Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell. Like that was it. That was the series. I remember was there was a joke series. on Twitter. It was like for game seven, just let those two play one-on-one to decide the series. <laughs> yeah, no, he's been really impressive. and I And I honestly think that, uh, like going into the playoffs and obviously we, we knew he was good. Like we knew he was a great player, but he really stepped it up to a whole nother level this playoffs and really has uh, propelled his team up into a winning position. I think they now nodded the series up after, after a big uh, game two, obviously after getting routed in game one. So it's going to be, it's going to be a close series, I think. And I think that he's, he's done a good job uh, this playoffs to really put, put his team into a win, winning position. Um, where do you think this the series is going to go? Do you think Denver can kind of compete or do you think the Clippers are just going to come out and wipe the floor with them? I mean, I think Kawhi had a bad game in game two, right? I think he had like 13 points or something. And we all know that that's not going to happen again. Kawhi is going to be Kawhi. And I think that the Nuggets will definitely give them a heart like they passed the Luka Doncic and the Mavs. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's probably going to go to six maybe seven games at the max, like obviously at the max, I think the Nuggets can give the Clippers some problems. Like if the Dallas Mavericks, who were the, uh, I think they were, well, they were like the seventh seed. If they can give them some trouble, I think so can the Denver Nuggets, uh, who look really strong, obviously coming out of that series against the Utah Jazz winning game seven. And I think for one point as well is that Jamal Murray is going to have to really step up. Like he's going to have to be the best player on the Nuggets. But I think also Nikola Jokic is really going to have to step up against like obviously when you compare Nikola Jokic to the I think I'm going to say Zubak or uh, who's the uh, the center on the Clippers and stuff I think is it, is it Zubak who's there yeah I think it's yeah Zubak and then also yeah. so when you look at the size differences there I think there's a big mismatch where the Nuggets can expose that ma- matchup where Nikola Jokic can drive inside and get a lot of buckets inside and I think that's that's gonna be a key to this series if they want to give them the challenge possibly push it to six or seven games um Let's look at some of the teams that did get eliminated, but like obviously the Mavs are out, the Thunder are out, and how about uh, Luka Doncic? His performance at like what is his second year in the NBA? Yeah, second year in the NBA, first first playoffs. Without his second, without the second best player on the team, and injured the entire series. 
Yeah, the, he's a special kid for sure. Um, I I enjoy watching Luca play like so much. I I remember that game winner against the Clippers. That was that was amazing. Um, he he knows he knows he's tough. He's tough. He's played in uh, Europe before. Yes. I, and he played like he's tough he knows he knows what he's made of he knows what he has to do um I don't know why there was ever a debate between him and Trey Young for rookie exactly. of the year um but yeah he is he is definitely the star of that show and he's one he's special he's he's gonna get his time for sure yeah, we definitely agree. I think uh, he's going to be a special player in the NBA, and we definitely saw that this year in the playoffs with hitting the with his clutch performances, but also not even that, but also being able to, being able to play um, play through injury. And obviously, that's a big thing that star athletes will have to do throughout their career that many star athletes have done, like Hall of Fame players. They've fought in, uh, through injury, and they've prevailed and stuff. Obviously, he's playing a, a really good Clippers team. I think they they give him as much as they could without uh, Chris Stapps for Singus, obviously out of the lineup and stuff. And I think if he was in that, if he was in the lineup, it could have possibly gone to seven games and uh, swung either way and stuff. But I think that he is definitely be a special player to come. And I'm really excited to see what he'll do in the NBA, especially for the Mavericks as well. So obviously Utah's out, but I was really impressed not only with Donovan Mitchell, but Rudy Gobert, his play was just... in a couple of the games. I think one went to overtime Gobert was the one that hit like one of the last big shots and he was obviously going up against Nikolai Jokic. How did you think Gobert played not only in the series, but obviously we knew there was kind of a little bit of tension with him and Mitchell because of the coronavirus and what happened? Yeah, um, I think in the seeding games, when I was watching the Jazz, they looked a little bit off. Um, Donovan Mitchell was playing like he didn't really want to. And then I think that just sort of changed once they hit the playoffs so I was a bit worried about them before but then they started balling and I was like oh okay so you guys can play well together um and yeah I think they really stepped up and they played well together it's a shame that they blew their lead but it happens yeah I would agree I think I didn't watch I didn't watch too much of their series I can't really speak too much about the play of Rudy Rudy Gobert but I think that uh from the games from the little bit that I did watch and stuff I think he was he was good and stuff, but I think he could have been a lot better. I think there were some moments where he had some miscues during some games where I think that uh, obviously they blew a 3-1 lead, which is very – well, obviously we've seen it happen before, but it's very odd to see in such early rounds and stuff when you have a chance to – like when you have three chances to, or two chances to put away a team and you still can't do it. So I think there was that uh, problems between the uh, – obviously between Gobert and Mitchell as well. Um, the last team I want to look at that got eliminated – and the play of them was obviously Oklahoma City Thunder had 2.4% chance of making the playoffs by the odds makers before the year started. CP3 really helped, but how about Lou Dortz in game seven, the Canadian kid? Yes, another Canadian represent. <laughs> yeah, I was really, I was really happy and impressed with him. Um, I think I forgot there was one game or something. I don't know. I heard that he wasn't playing too well, but then he he started to pick it up. And I think he was an important part for them on defense and he was yeah. guarding James Harden in game seven and Harden couldn't shoot that well against him yeah uh, I know everyone everyone loves to talk about how Houston is a small ball team they don't have any any big guys and I mean so far it's been kind of working for them they got past the, the thunder but either way but that could have gone either way so we'll see what happens in this series 
Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I think honestly, one of the the Oklahoma City Thunder impressed me the most this season with what they had and stuff. And I honestly think that's credit to CP3, but also the play of Shy Gill just Alexander, who really was robbed of MIP in my opinion. He, I don't know why. Uh, who won it? Was it uh, Ingram? I think Ingram. Yeah, Ingram. Brandon Ingram won it. I think he was really, or I think another bigger name was Dennis Schroeder, who got robbed as well, also on the Thunder. But I think, yeah, Shai Gilgis-Alexander really impressed me this series and uh, this season as well of being a good – like, obviously having a great season. And I think that he's going to definitely be a player to watch for in the future. That's another Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you got a lot in that trade for Paul George. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think it was like there was like circling around how they're like the 2025 OKC Thunder is going to be very scary. There was so <laughs> many. It was like picks. four first round picks or something and then two pick swaps. Yeah. And like the Thunder, um, the Clippers, you know, watch out because I noticed this right when Kawhi signed his contract. It's like a two year, a three year deal with the player option in the third year. And I think if they can't win in one of those two years, he might bounce. Yeah, we'll see. I wonder where he'll go. It's going to be interesting to see because obviously he went home. Like, he left Toronto to go home to L.A. because that's where he wanted to be. And he signed with the Clippers because, you know, obviously he wasn't going to sign with the Lakers because he wanted to be on his own team. And he wanted to he wanted to get Paul George and that whole deal and stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens and where he goes. I don't know if he'll leave L.A. and then go somewhere else or if he'll just, like, resign. But I honestly think, yeah, if if he can't win in these two years, that obviously that he's under contract and that's the third year of the play option, he could bounce somewhere else. The question is, I don't know where else he would want to go. Because if he goes back to Toronto now, it just looks it just looks weird. But then if he goes somewhere else, it's going to be just really interesting to see what happens. Do you think Giannis leaves if they can't win next year? Because I'm I'm sorry, I'm calling them out already now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think now if he can request a trade. Right. If he doesn't accept the the max, the super max, he can request a trade. But I don't see him doing that. From what from what he said, he's he seems very loyal. But also at the same time, it's like if they're not winning, I don't think he'll he might not stay either. So I don't know. I think I heard there's a it's called like an open secret in the bubble that Giannis yeah. wants to go to either Miami or Toronto. The, the two teams I'm, that are probably gonna bounce him. So. I don't know. I don't know. It all depends on what happens this season. I think honestly, if they if they lose this season, and again, obviously, because he's he's a uh, he's a free agent at the end of next season, if they still can't win within this next two years, and they still don't add enough pieces around him, like they um, for Milwaukee for him to stay, I think Milwaukee needs to add a second big superstar, a second name big superstar to their squad for him to want to like, because right now their whole one superstar kind of idea is not really working. We're just Giannis and having supporting cast of the way they are. They almost need a two superstar team for him to have success. And I think that honestly, giant joining Toronto wouldn't be a bad option. I, I would love him to come to Toronto because I think he would really work well, be a good pairing with Pascal Siakam and Ojinobi. But I also think that Miami could be an option as well. If, if he joins Miami, that's just, just watch out. Like that's just, yeah. Yeah, what's what's killing me is all these photoshops of different players in Miami Heat uh, jerseys heat, or the thing with heat, jerseys. Heat Twitter is so I can tell you right now, people from South Florida are very wild, and that's why Heat Twitter is so crazy with the photoshops. Um, to be honest, the thing with Milwaukee is it's not like a big market, so 
I don't know when the last time they won. I think they did win, but it was like decades ago if they did. Yeah, it was uh, like the championship. Abdul Jabbar was, was on their team. Yeah. 1971, I believe. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah. I the think, thing with Mil- yeah. the thing with Milwaukee is it's not a big market like LA, New York, or like even somewhere like Miami. Like, it's not like a marquee market. And um, the thing is, their coach is gonna be gone. Budenholzer is gone. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. He he would have been fired now, but they can't fire their coach in the middle of a playoff run. That would that would um, that would be bad. <laughs> yeah, um, I just don't see another superstar wanting to go. First of all, Milwaukee doesn't have enough um trading chips, I would say, to get a big guy. And then who wants to commit out of free agency to a team where you don't know if the one guy you want to play with is going to stay after the year? I think one of the biggest mistakes the Bucks made was letting go of Malcolm Brogdon. That was definitely like I don't know why they did that. Um, it was I think after their GM they got like Executive of the Year award and then he let Brogdon go. Yeah. And then yeah, it's didn't was... Brogdon win Rookie of the Year? No, uh, I'm trying. Right. To... There was two bucks up for one year. I don't know who won it, but it was one of the two bucks. Yeah, it was it was a really a uh, qu- questioning move when they let go when they let Brogdon walk to go to to join Indiana and stuff because I think that's one of the big stars they missed this year with having like obviously Chris Middleton and to pair with Giannis but I think Malcolm Brogdon was that kind of that third supporting star that really helped like obviously Milwaukee had a really good regular season they were dominant before the bubble but obviously there was that four months hiatus and then everyone came back and they were like I think the record is like. I think they I was watching the Heat and like Bucks game and they were showing it was like seven for nine is their record after and obviously their opponent points for like points per game is doubled now. It's like one oh it's like from one oh seven to one fourteen, so it's jumped up. Uh, opponents are shooting higher free percentage. So they're just not the same team they were as obviously before the bubble. But it's gonna be interesting to see. And I think, yeah, like you said, is Milwaukee's like Toronto. It's like it's very hard to attract a big superstar to come. It was hard to get Kawhi. Like Kawhi was traded there. He wasn't signed, he was traded there, he was forced to go there. So I, I highly doubt, like you said as well, that someone is going to leave up and leave to join Milwaukee, to join Giannis possibly. And uh, like, it's cold there. It's, it's, yeah. it's Wisconsin. There's snow in the winter. It's not, it's not sunny Florida or sunny LA or exactly. nice New York. Like obviously New York has some bad weather too, but it's also a big market. You know, you can get lots of money in New York. Milwaukee's colder than Toronto, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I see all these things. I think, was it Lou Williams on the Clippers? He was like, no one wants to go to Toronto because it's so cold. I'm like, I can yeah. literally name you so many other teams that have the same weather of, as exactly. us, if like, not worse. Like Denver, Toronto's Colorado? An hour, Toronto's an hour flight from the Metropolitan, like, in the U.S. Like, there's a lot of other markets that are cold. Like, like you said, Denver and mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And Portland's probably not that uh, warm either. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, in Oregon, they they probably have four seasons. Like they have winter as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's gonna be interesting to see where Giannis goes. Um, do you still think he's after? I would still have LeBron as the best player in the NBA. Who's number two for you? I'm gonna have to go with Kawhi. Kawhi, yeah. I, I of course I I'm always gonna say Kawhi. Like I I think Kawhi is an exceptional player. Um, I know many people on Twitter would attack me for that, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think Kawhi is the second best player. Yeah, I think obviously Kawhi would be number two, but I honestly think that if Kevin Durant was healthy, it, like if oh, he sure. hadn't got injured, 
for sure he would be up there like easily because he's he's just like obviously he's one of the best scorers of all time and I think that being seven feet and being so lanky he can like I think Steve Kerr said it when obviously when he was on that he can he can create a shot from anywhere on the court and hit it basically like he can spot up shoot threes and obviously he's like he's almost six he's like six foot eleven I think it's I don't know obviously yeah. the NBA's stricken got more strict with the actual heights of people but he's basically seven feet and he can create any shot so I think if he was healthy I'd be but as of right now Kawhi Leonard is my number two. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm happy you brought off Kevin Durant because obviously the Brooklyn Nets just hired Canadian Steve Nash to run their bench. So next year, hopefully, they'll have a healthy Kyrie, a healthy KD, and then third option, Karis LeVert, possibly. Oh, yeah. I think Karis LeVert is like an amazing player, and he was definitely the best player in the Toronto Brooklyn series. Um, I think he'll, he'll compliment them well. He's a, he's a very good player. Do you yeah, think that then – right, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Karis LeVert has really stepped up this series. I think he looks like an exciting young player to watch. And I think that uh, going into this next season, obviously going into this next season, he's going to be a big priority for um to get training, obviously, to get uh, hooping with – like get – or I guess I build some chemistry with Kyrie and Kevin Durant as well uh, on the team. Do you think with the roster they have now, they'll be a contender in the East next year? Yeah, if everyone is healthy, yes, I, I, I do believe it. It's, I'm going to be interested to see how Steve Nash coaches, though. I heard he spent some time with the Warriors, if I'm not yes. mistaken. So we'll see. I, but I don't think he's had any previous coaching experience, which was a topic I think, that was brought up. I think he actually did be on Steve Nash, I think, as well. He coached for Team Canada a little bit with Nick Nurse, possibly. I think it was oh. a little bit with that. Um, but I do think, like, uh, the question is, I think they will be a contender. I think they, they can really create a lot of noise if everyone is healthy. That's the key. If everyone is healthy and there might be some chemistry issues between KD and Kyrie, we'll have to see how that works out, obviously. Like, between – they're two type A personality guys. They're very, I could say, vocal, per se. So I think Steve Nash is really able to corral the player's personality and be able to control them. But I think one of the biggest things that was talked about, obviously, with the Steve Nash iron that Steve well, – I want to bring up Stephen A. Smith's point about the whole thing about him being hired for white privilege, and it was a, and it was oh, it was totally white privilege. But I think it's total, it's total crap. Like Steve Nash is a Hall of Fame player; he has some coaching experience, not a lot. But just for him to say just because he was hired because the color of his skin is absolute, like there's a reason why. If it was like some no-name player who just was like hired off the street, like some average Joe. And over like some other guy who's more experienced, who was African American, maybe then yeah, you can make that. But like that, like that's just absurd comment. And I honestly can't take. Well, obviously he's made some points that I've disagreed with, but I think that's the biggest yeah. one that I've disagreed with. Yeah, I think if you're gonna call it any kind of privilege, it's just like a player coach privilege. It's definitely player yeah. coach privilege. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, a lot of people were defending Steve Nash on Twitter, just saying the reason why he was brought in is like you said, he was um an assistant for the Warriors or us. Uh, personal staff for the Warriors for a bit and apparently KD liked allegedly according to Twitter uh, I don't know which sources it was but KD liked working with Steve Nash so I think that's the main reason why and you know player coaches have worked in the past obviously we saw what Steve Kerr did with his Warriors team but also a lot of bringing up the Stephen A. Smith point there are a lot of former player coaches that were African-American that did have chances like Jason Kidd and um, Derek Fisher. 
Uh, I think it was also another was Mark Jackson that uh, Charles Barkley brought up. He was, he was, he was the one who kind of defended Steve Nash and brought up all those coaches that have yeah. had a chance and stuff like that, who were player coaches and who were African-American. And obviously Ty Lue was also a player coach. Mm-hmm. Ty Lue, yeah, as well. Yes. I think I forgot which team there's one team. I think Ty Lue is in the, in the running for, I'm not sure. I forgot which team it was. Maybe the Rockets. I don't know. One team where the coach. Sixers. Oh, Sixers. Yes, that's what it was. The Sixers. I think Ty Lue is in the running for that position. Can we talk about how Joel Embiid's trying to tamper himself out of the Sixers? <laughs> Every time Jimmy Butler plays good, he tweets, I'm sad. I miss you, basically, on Twitter. Every single time. And at the All-Star game, all at the All-Star game, he was just hanging out with Miami players the whole time. Like, there's definitely some tampering going on. I don't understand how he is, has not been fined yet. Like, his tweets are killing me. And I think as well as well, like, I think it was after they got swept, he was, like, uh, he posted an Instagram photo, and it was, like, something about alluding to, like, leaving or whatever. I'm trying, I was, I don't know what the, what the caption was. It was definitely, I was, like, how has he not been, like, after that, I was, like, how has he not been hit with a tampering fine of, like, wanting to leave? Like, just to leave. And because clearly he wants out. Clearly yeah. it's not working in Philadelphia. And if they're not going to make, like, obviously, and the whole debate is, oh, you should, trade, should you trade Ben Simmons or you should trade Joel Embiid and who's kind of the bigger, who's the better player to have on the team? And I honestly think that trading Ben Simmons, you might be able, like, it's, it's harder to, I guess, get a piece for him or more, uh, more trade bait for him, I guess. But I think that Joel Embiid is the better player to have for uh, the Sixers. And I think that kind of Ben Simmons is the player you want to get rid of and kind of build players around Joel Embiid. He does play center, which is a dying position in the NBA, but I still think that he's a dominant player. You know, the biggest – go ahead. Uh, No, I was just thinking about how I believe the Rockets coach, like Mike D'Antoni, I believe they said that his contract is expiring and that they said at the beginning of the season that they weren't going to renew it. But I'm kind of curious now if the Rockets do somehow get past the Lakers, if they will keep to that promise or – I, th- I think as well, I was watching like, what is it? I think it was the Rockets and Lakers game as well the other night. They were saying, uh, I think it was like Mark Green, uh, it was like Jeff Green or all, all the commentators and stuff. They were saying that apparently if, uh, if they had lost game seven, I think Mike D'Antoni would have been fired. I think that's what they were saying as well. If, he, if they didn't win that game seven, he would have been fired. He would have been out of his job. But since they won that, he's kind of still hanging on to a job. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of this series if the Lakers can pull it off and they win. Obviously, with his contract not being extended, or they're not going to extend it, he could be out of a job, and they could be looking for a replacement coach at the end of the series. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, we saw in the if you watched the last dance, you would see Phil Jackson was openly told after winning four was it four championships? Yeah, after winning four championships, he was told you're not coming back. Won the championship, and then they blew up the team. Yes, yes, I remember that. It's yes, it's giving me those vibes as well. Um, Obviously, Mike D'Antoni's no, uh, no Phil Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I, you know, I think Nick Nurse is very close to Phil Jackson. I think they're good friends, which is you can see like he gets his inspiration from that. I'm, I'm happy with having Nick Nurse as our coach. They both took they both took career paths that weren't the most normal. Um, obviously, Nick Nurse coached in Europe and other places around the world, and. If you watch The Last Dance, Phil Jackson coach in somewhere in South America, I believe. Yeah, I was doing, I wrote an article for Unbench Sports about Nick Nurse. And when I was doing my research on him, 
literally every team that he's been with, he's won some championship yeah. with them. Yeah. I'm like, this guy has never lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think like, he won. He won two D League or G League or now they're now it's called the G League, but G League yeah. with the Raptors 905. Yeah, and, and with the Vipers. Enemies. Yeah, with the yeah. Vipers as well. So he, he's always he's used to winning, and I, mm-hmm. I, I I was happy when he came in because I think one of the biggest things like that we've talked about with other coaches that he makes adjustments that I think Wayne Casey really didn't do. Like I'd be watching Raptors games and Dwayne Casey wouldn't make adjustments that Nick Nurse would be making, or he wouldn't call timeout when I wanted to call timeout. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you're just like, you're blowing the game. So I think Nick Nurse is smart with that. He knows when to make adjustments. He knows when to have the right matchups in with the players and stuff. And I think that's why he's one coach. We won coach of the year this year. You know, it's funny how we're talking about um, Nick Nurse. And like, obviously we talked about Eric Sproulshaw too. I think, Miami and Toronto is very similar just in the sense that their president is probably the most important figure in that organization. So obviously Pat Riley completely turned around a terrible roster, got rid of terrible contracts and brought in kind of no, not nobodies, but forgotten players like Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala and turned their game around. Masai's done the same thing. He brought in Gasol, he brought in Abaka, he got rid of Dwayne Casey, traded away the franchise player and, the Raps have a very good chance of going back to back. Yeah, I still remember when there was like this hashtag going around when he first fired Dwayne Casey. He was like, fire Masai Ujiri or something like that. And I'm like, boy, we did not know what was coming. <laughs> yeah, when that trade went down, I was kind of honestly, I was really mad because I was like, oh, DeMar DeRozan's gone. And like, obviously at that time, Kawhi Leonard was having, he was coming off some like, obviously with the knee or the ankle injury as well. Mm-hmm. He wasn't fully healthy, so that was one question mark going into the season. Obviously, the load management from the Raptors organization really helped him during that season, the championship run. I think that's why he was so dominant in the playoffs, because he sat out, and there's been much debate about like load management with superstars, and if and a lot of former players have stepped up and said, no, if you're a superstar, you know, you should be playing every night. But I think it's like, if the player is a certain age and he needs to preserve himself for the playoffs, the player has every right to do that, obviously. You're paying if you're paying lots of money, you want to go see LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard play. Yeah, they might be playing, but they might also have the night off. So it's it's just it's an interesting aspect to that as well. Yeah, I think I saw someone say on Twitter that Kawhi is the most healthy he's been this year in a long time. And that's scary. And then it's just like, oh yeah, you have the Raptors. Yeah, <laughs> last year really helped him restore that ankle injury. It's funny that you bring up that. I was at um I was at Jurassic Park for opening night last year. A couple of the journalism kids, we went to the front row. It was a crazy night. We were actually on TSN, Sportsnet, and we met LeVar Ball. We were we met Nav Bhatia. We were interviewed by TSN. It was a crazy night. But um, when they're introducing the staff, the person who got the second loudest cheer that night was the, the head medical trainer. Alex, M- M- Alex McKinney? I believe so. Yes. Shout mm-hmm. out. Honestly... <laughs> Masai needs to be hired as like an Masai needs ownership in MLSE. That really needs to happen. They need to I give him ownership. Agree. I'm so tired of these rumors that other other teams are searching to get Masai with them. I'm like, he's not leaving the Raptors. You give him an open checkbook and tell him write what you want. Yeah. MLSE is the second richest um, sports kind of group after MSG in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, because they, they own a number of sports. Uh, the Toronto sports teams, obviously. They, know, they own every team yeah, every, in Toronto, every team, basically. Every team in Toronto, yeah. Yeah, the, the Raptors should should take hold of Masai and keep him now. Do anything to keep him because he is very important to our organization. 
And I think, I think Bobby Webster is a huge key to that as well. I think he's part of the success as much as uh, like, I think they're equally part of the six as much as uh, Masai Ujiri, but I think Masai Ujiri being the president stuff being uh, the main guy, but I think Bobby Webster is another guy that really gets uh, not as much love as Masai, but he still deserves a lot of credit for what he does being the GM. It's nice to see that at least one Toronto team knows how to um, manage their front office. I'm calling out the Leafs because <laughs> Shanahan does not know what he's doing. No, they make they make a lot of money, but they that's about it. They're they're basically they're there to make money and not win games or just win the right amount of games, I guess. But still, <laughs> when like, to win get the, when to get into the playoffs and lose in the first round. Yeah, basically. I'm calling it. It's basketball country slash city now. It's it really looks anymore. like that. Yeah, now. it really has it really swung. I think like the, na- the nation has swung from being a big hockey, uh, hockey country or hockey like in Toronto as well. I think that swung over to the Raptors' success and stuff. You know, it's funny. I grew up playing hockey. I went to school wanting to be a hockey analyst. I still do, but I'm more excited to watch playoff basketball just because I know my teams are probably going to go almost to the finals, whether it's Miami, Toronto. And then in the NHL, I'm not expecting anything. The Leafs have disappointed me too many times in my life that I really just don't <laughs> care anymore. Yeah, just you know, at this point, you just got to cheer for another team possibly. Just... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, obviously, we just talked a lot about basketball. So the last segment I want to do on this episode is just a little bit about how you got into sports and what made you both want to become uh, sports media personalities. Obviously, both of you are going to school at Ryerson, sport media and journalism, both two of the best programs in the country for sports. So I'll start with Karina. Um, what got you interested not only in this, um, sport media, but Ryerson in general? So I first went, I went to my first basketball game back in 2012 when I was a little child. Um, and ever since then, like I just loved, I love the atmosphere. The atmosphere of basketball games is just like, it's so amazing. And then I started to just watch more and more games. And then I just kind of fell in love with the sport of basketball. I love, I love watching it. I love talking about it with like my friends or like other fans. And I also had a passion for like technology, like film and and things like that and photography. And I, and I had like, I'm, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but like, I'm pretty like passionate about writing. Like I like, I love writing too. And I took some communications technology courses in high school and we learned how to do all the live production stuff. And I just like, I'm like, this is what I want to do with my life. Like I literally didn't know how much I wanted to do this until like my later years of high school. And then I was looking at programs and I discovered the sport media program at Ryerson and I, I read the description. I was like, this is a program for me. That's it. I can't go anywhere else. I mean, I applied to other places, but that was, Ryerson was always my first choice. It's and funny. I, I actually didn't I even know they had a, I didn't even know they had a sport media program until I walked on campus. I was like, wait, what? Is this sport media? That's pretty funny. I literally, I found it by chance. I had other programs ready to go. I found it by chance, like a few months before. And I was like, wow, where has this program been this whole time? <laughs> Um, Sam? Uh, yeah. For me, honestly, I've known what I've kind of wanted to do for a number of years. It was like since of maybe grade eight, grade nine, I, like, I was going into high school and I was like, I know what I want to do. Like ever since I was very young, I really enjoyed, um, obviously I played a lot of hockey when I was young and I didn't really play too much basketball, but I've, I think I went to a Raptors game a number of years ago on my birthday. It was like against Charlotte, you know, like nosebleeds, playing lots of money. It was really like the atmosphere as well was crazy for me being a young player as well. But I think one of the biggest things that got me into it was 
during high school and stuff, I was a lot of the, I did a lot of announcing and stuff in my high school. So like grade nine, I did like some football games and stuff and did some basketball games and I really got into it. And then kind of like, as I was looking at programs, I honestly, I stumbled upon the sport media program. I applied to it, didn't get in obviously. Cause it's such, it's such a competitive program that it's like, uh, oh, so yeah. I got into, yeah. So I applied to the, like the journalist program as well. And I applied to Carlton's why well, I chose Ryerson. Cause it's like Ryerson's obviously the best choice. Like it's obviously highly debated between us, like them versus Carlton. But I think that Ryerson is yeah, well being, so. in being in Toronto. It's where yeah. like, obviously where a lot of the sports teams are. And obviously if you want to kind of get into that kind of thing. And I think like, so I think that's kind of where I led to it and stuff of kind of like my journey and stuff to go into sports journalism or to journalism. I do want to go into sports journalism um, yeah. at some point, obviously just got to go through one path to another. So it's funny. You mentioned the Carlton thing, the, the funny, um, there's kind of like a running thing that we have in the journalism program. Everyone who got into Ryerson got into Carlton and we all declined. Yeah. And a lot of our professors used to go to Carlton. So I'm one of the guys that were in the lecture and they'll be like, oh, I went to Carlton and I'll start the booing in the back and the whole class <laughs> will start it. A little egging on, but it's all loving. We also have a little rivalry with, uh, it's funny, with RTA. We have a rivalry with RTA just because we're both FCAD, we're both in the RCC and we kind of compete for jobs. So it's like we have a friendly rivalry with them and kind of like an ongoing hatred with Carlton just just That's for the so jokes. funny that you call that a friendly rivalry because I literally heard about this like during Frashwi when they mentioned it and I was like, yep. what? There's like, you have a feud with the journalism? I'm I like, don't what? understand why because everyone I know in RTA I'm friends with. I'm friends with so many RTA kids, but we have to have, um, it's funny. I was with my friend in downtown yesterday and we were like meeting his neighbors and the girl's like, oh, I'm in RTA, new media. And I'm like, oh, we're in journalism. And instantly we kind of like everyone, all three of us locked eyes and we're like, oh, so we're rivals now. Like it's just an ongoing thing. And that's kind of how it is. And obviously you're going to learn um, all of the RTAs also have a rivalry within RTA. So it's, it, Ryerson's a very interesting Drama. place. <laughs> well, I think as well, like you said as well, competing for jobs, but I think like between our, like journalism and RTA, when you go out of school or like, even when you're going for like interns and stuff, it's like, it's, it's like, it's now competitive. It's like, you're fighting for jobs. And I think that's where they always say and stuff. Like one of the biggest things that I was even like seeing on people's stories for like the J school was like, don't compare yourself to others, you know, be your own exactly. journalist. And I think that's huge as well. But I think that when you get into the real world, you're going to have to start comparing yourself to another, like when you go for a job per se, like if you apply for a job, you're going to start to look at yourself. You just got to look at yourself as the best journalist out there and just think, okay, just, you know, stick to yourself and be yourself. Don't, don't change for a job or don't change for someone else. Just be your, be yourself and be who you are. And I think that's kind of like the best way to approach a job per se. Like if you're going for an interview or something like that, because obviously it is very competitive out there. Exactly. I think um, one tip of advice I have for obviously going through my first year is for everyone. I went into the program, never writing a single sports story or news story at all. Obviously now I've ran two websites and I've published in a bunch of places. I think my upper, my upper years kind of given me the confidence to just go out. I went to the eye opener. I think I wrote a piece for the eye opener like a week before I even, I wrote during frost week. I wrote before I even stepped into a journalism class. I think the confidence they gave me just to try and get out there helped a lot and I went from zero published to like maybe 50 in a something in a couple months but don't compare yourself to others but also look at other people and see how hard they're working 
because the people that I notice the most, whether it's in journalism or sport media, the people that are working the hardest are the people that get the most recognition in terms of, oh, let's go to that person if I have any um, questions or stuff like that. And I think work at your own pace, but also work as hard as you can. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good motto to go by. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, for sure. It sucks that there's a whole pandemic now because normally at Ryerson, you're going to have lots of sport media personalities coming in for conferences. I met Jesse Pollock from Bar Down. I met um, Scott McArthur from Sportsnet and a couple other guys from like the athletic and stuff just at the RCC. And Ryerson's good because only FCAD kids were allowed to go to that. So there's a lot of networking opportunities and eventually you're both going to see it um, at Ryerson. I hope yeah. next semester that classes oh, yeah, will not be online. By, hopefully by winter we can be uh, back in school and stuff, but we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah there's two I programs right now that are... I have like a video production class. Yeah. I don't want to do that online. <laughs> it's funny for the journalism program. So obviously you were t we were texting earlier and how you have Jera and 103 for like six hours on Wednesday. So, yeah, it's like from it's from one to one to six is like a five hour like or yeah between it's like ten I've, to I've twelve elected. one to five yeah. yeah yeah so the way that works is you're actually not in that class for seven hours at least you're not supposed to be there's something called story days and basically they send you out and you have to go cover an event mm -hmm. in the morning or like whatever time slot it is and you have like six hours to produce a whole story so that's why the class is that long oh yeah I see yeah. Cause I think I was like seeing uh, like a lot, like obviously I've been following like the J school and stuff at like Instagram and like the whole frosh week thing. And they were just saying like, yeah, like story days and stuff are, it's very like, there's a lot of emotions up between up and down. Cause it's like, you're excited to go out, but then there's also, you're running a tight deadline. So it's like, yeah. you, you have to go out and it's always good to get your sources beforehand and stuff. And exactly. I, and I know that for sure. Cause I like obviously in high school, I took a lot of comm tech classes. And I think one of the biggest things, one of the things that we did is we did like a final video project. So for my final video project, I did like a vaping documentary because I was pretty big and stuff. Yeah. And I, it was like, it was something different because I'm used to like viewing sports and stuff. So like my teacher was like happy with that. And one of the things I did was I interviewed this uh, medical health professional, like a registered nurse for like KW and stuff. And one of the things I did was like, I like obviously I contacted her like a week before, like I like obviously, and I, and I think my one teacher was like, don't, obviously they always say that give her the questions in advance and stuff and give the person the questions that they know and stuff, but also don't sometimes they say don't do that because then it's like you're not going to get so much stricted scripted answers and stuff yeah and i think that's big as well to be able to contact sources like obviously in advance so you have them set up so you're not scrambling like obviously the day of and you're like trying to find something you know to fill in the story with yeah. Per se. yeah i think the biggest thing that i learned being in a program like at ryerson is you gain a lot of confidence before university i was like a really quiet kid i didn't really talk to anyone um you learn quickly in not only journalism but rta also you need to talk to as many people as you can because like the friends will help you along the way and i went from never speaking to anyone to having a lot of friends in multiple programs and then it gave me the confidence to contact sources so you're going to be contacting a lot of sources and i shot my shot i was emailing and dming like nhl players and stuff and luckily i was able to get a couple interviews from some pretty big names and that's just like the confidence that you're going to get being in a FCAD program at Ryerson. Definitely. All right. I really appreciate both of you coming on. Um, this has been one of the better episodes we've recorded. Obviously big Raptors game tonight. Once again, thank you to Krina and to Sam. You can find their work on the intermission and other places as well. Thank you for coming on both of you. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me.